See, before I say anything, we'll have a wee word of prayer. Dear Lord and eternal Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this place, Lord, and we thank you for even the gospel message, Lord, that's been sung already, even right down to the prayer meeting, Lord. And what a prayer meeting it was, Lord. We pray that you'll answer the prayers of the saints, Lord, that were in the prayer meeting, Lord, and they'll see fruit for their labor. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us tonight. Lord, this isn't about me tonight, Lord, and it's all about you, Lord. So we pray that you'll be with us and you'll be one of our number as you've already promised us, Lord. Amen. Uh, where do you start when you're giving your testimony? When you start at the beginning? Gordy, I've just spotted you down there. <laughs> I wasn't born into a Christian home, but I was born into a very loving home. And my dad worked two jobs to keep me and my mum. And I, it was a wee back street in Lisburn. It was a very loyalist area. So I grew up with bonfires, painting curbs, and everything else that went along with it. It was a big UDA estate where we lived. And that's the sort of lifestyle it was. Nobody locked their front door. Everybody knew each other's business, unfortunately. So anything that went on in the street, my mum and dad got to hear about it. Anything that I wanted to hide from my mum and dad, they got to hear about it. I never, ever heard the gospel until I was five. Sometimes prods don't think they need God. Loyalists don't think they need God. They've been so conditioned to thinking that we're the people. They think we're better than everybody else just because we're Protestants or loyalists. I came down the stairs one Sunday morning and as I always did, I went to flick the TV on. And my grandmother lived with us. And she says to me, William, son, I don't think... Now, she wasn't saved. She says, I don't think you'll be able to put the tally on. I says, why? She says, me, your daddy's got saved. I hadn't a clue what she was talking about. Imagine living in Ulster and getting to five years of age and never been in Sunday school. Or never hearing the gospel. But that's the way it was. So right away when she said, your daddy's got saved, I said, why, what's he been saved from? Is he sick? So I scooted into the kitchen, and I can still remember what he was wearing. He was wearing a pair of work trousers and a string vest, and he was drinking a cup of tea out of a black glass cup. And I said to him, Daddy, are you all right? Are you sick? And he says, you have got saved. What's wrong? And he says to me, no, I've asked the Lord into my heart to forgive me of my sins. It was the first time I heard the gospel. I didn't understand it. Didn't understand it. But I understood the next thing he said at five years of age. And I didn't like it. He says to me, next week you're for Sunday school. And I thought, not a chance. No. I was, uh, was probably about six, probably. It wasn't five, it was about six. And I was already at school and I hated school. If I was at school now, I'd probably be special needs. I, struggle, I still struggle with my reading. Uh, can't do Mars at all. I really, really struggled at school. And that's probably, and I fast forward on in, in the secondary school. And by this stage, I'm going to Sunday school, I'm going to the Wednesday night meeting, and I'm going to the junior fellowship. And I hated it, because I thought my dad and everybody else like him were complete space cadets. I couldn't grasp it. I genuinely didn't get it. I didn't get it. It wasn't that... I didn't respect it. I seen the change in the, I seen a change in my dad. 
But I just, I couldn't grasp it. Even, even right up into double figures, you know, 12, 13, I didn't get it. So I'm certainly not here to glorify what I used to be, but I get into trouble in school, and I think it was because I, caught, I didn't know what I was doing. I just genuinely, I couldn't, anything I sat in front of me, it was like, it might as well have been a Russian, because I just didn't get it. So because of that, I played up, and by the time I was in fourth year, I had a classroom of my own, beside my headmaster's office. And there was one man who took me on as a school teacher. He was my history teacher and he was my RE teacher. And they were wanting to expel me from school. And he came in and he said, no, look, listen, I'll take him on. I'll teach him his English, his maths. I'll teach him everything he needs to know. But you have classes you own. No, I'll, I'll, I'll come back in and out. He was a Christian. John Ferguson, you called him. And I'd say to my own home, he was really the only other man that was a proper Christian. I was a handful. Some of my teachers, when I went into the classroom, they went, get out, get out. So I had to keep a couple of desks and maybe a teacher's desk along with it on the way out. Who, who, who wants to teach somebody like that? I'm not making excuses, but I couldn't cope with the work. I couldn't wait to get to work, get making money, because I wanted a motor. So it didn't seem to matter where I went. I was confronted with Christians all the time. Couldn't get away from them. I had them at home. Two of my best friends, even though I was in the world, two of my best friends were Christians. And my new boss was a Christian. He was an Elam pastor. Noel McKinney, you called him. And I was working with Noel, and Noel was driving at home every day to the point where he just used to think, that man's head's cut. He's, he's, he's been brainwashed. He's in a cult. He's just like the rest of them. But Noel was consistent. And I got friendly with Noel's son, Mark. And Mark and me on a Thursday night would have went to Mull. What do you call that place? McCartan's. McCartan's Bar in Donna And we went this night. I got paid. It was cash back then. And I had plenty of money in my hip pocket. So him and me went to McCartan's Bar, played pool, had two big steak dinners, and I had about 10 pints of cider in me. And I says, Mark, I'm going to have to hit the road for my dad, but wondering where I am. It's about 8 o'clock. He says, me, you going to drive home? I says, of course I'm going to drive home. Now let me set the scene of what the place was like. There was a live band playing. You couldn't have heard yourself speaking it. And he says to me, what if you have an accident on the way home? Now bear in mind, up until that point, I couldn't grasp the concept of the gospel. Couldn't grasp the concept of salvation. And it was like every light went off in the room and there was a spotlight shining right on me. And I had to sit down. He says to me, you all right? I says, Mark, I've had an accident on the way home. I'm going to hell. And he says to me, what? I says, I've had an accident on the way home. I'm going to hell. He says to me, I wish you'd shut your mouth for you're starting to sound like my dad. I says, your dad's right. Your dad's 100% right. So I had a choice to make, what did I do? So I get in the car stupidly and drive home. I drive home and my dad was standing at the door waiting on me. It was the 21st of December, 1992. I was 19. I got myself out of the car and he says to me, where have you been? And I says, I don't, I don't need it. I don't need it. don't need to hear it. Look at the cutty. So he tried to get my keys off me 
And he obviously didn't try too hard because he could have put me into the ground like a peg. He's a big unit. So I got my keys back. And the next thing I'm outside Stanley Barnes House, Hillsborough Free Presbyterian Church Minister. I forgot it was a Thursday night. It was prayer meeting night. So I got out of the car. Devil's on my coattail. Get back in the car and head home. Sure you'll be grand in the morning. I thought, no, I can't go home. I can't go home. So I wrapped the door. Mrs. Barnes came out, and she obviously smelt the drink off me. And she says, Willie, come on in. I says, no, is Mr. Barnes here? No, no, it's prayer meeting. I asked me, I'll come back. She goes, no, come in. She took me by the elbow. And I went in, and she sat me down. Stanley and I belonged to his home at maybe half an hour. And she gave me tea and toast, and she sat and talked to me. And he came in, and she went out, and she says, Willie Hamilton's in the front room. He's had a lot of drink in him. You need to go in and talk to him. So when he come, and anybody that knows Stanley Barnes, he's one of the most gracious, godly men God ever seen fit to put breath into. And I says, Mr. Barnes, I need to get saved, and I need to get saved right now. He says to me, hold on, slow down, what's happened? And I told him what had happened in the bar. And he says, you know, you don't, you of all people know you don't need me. I says, but I need, to, I need to tell you what's been happening to me tonight. And I knelt down at his city in his living room. And I asked the Lord into my heart to forgive me of my sins. And he did come in. And he did save me. You know, I often wonder the night I got saved. Mr. Barnes took me to Joshua 1, verse 5. And I didn't realize until later life, obviously, just how special these verses were that he read to me. He started in verse 5, and it says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. See, once you're saved, you're always saved. And if you disagree with me tonight, that's okay. I'm not going to fall out with you. But that's what it says there. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. You know, you, you, you may tonight, maybe you're far away from the Lord. Maybe you've folded him up and put him in your hip pocket. And you think to yourself, mm, no, he's maybe not just for me. I can guarantee you, if you were being honest, your conscience is still pricked. People that talk to you, you still prick your conscience, and the Lord still speaks to you. It says in verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swore unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. This is the most important verse of it all. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God goest with thee. I learned that night, I realized that night, like it says in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It took me to 19 to realize, sitting in all them meetings, that I 
couldn't have cared less about. But the Lord was still working in my heart and he was softening my heart and he was giving me the understanding in my heart and also in my head just exactly what he had done for me when he died on the cross and shed his precious blood for my sins. You know, after that, <laughs> I was on the lookout for a wife. They say every, behind every good man is a good woman. I have to say that because she's, she's sitting down there. When I met, met Pat about six months after I got saved, and we went together for two years, and then we got married on the 14th of October, 95. And life was really good. I had a half-decent job by that stage. Had a few pounds in my pocket. We were building our own house. We were living in a mobile home. And Emily came along, our first daughter. And she was born on the 27th of October, 90. You know what? Am I right? What was it? When? The 27th of October, April, April, 97. What was it? 98. I do love her. I do love her. My daughter I'm talking about. Like, uh, Emily come along and she was born and she was perfect. And just life, life just couldn't have got any better. Our bills were paid. But you know what I was doing as a Christian? I was treading water. I was doing what maybe some of the resties are doing tonight. Like I can look down and I see the suits and I see the nice clothes. Probably a lot of nice motors parked out in the car, car park. And none of it matters. None of it. You're maybe only treading water. You're maybe not praying as you ought to. You're maybe not reading as you ought to. But you look the part when you're filling the pew with your good clothes and your hat. What's your heart like? What's your relationship with the Lord like? Mine was lukewarm because life was good. No big traumas. Nothing dramatic happening. Just coasting along. And any of us do it as Christians. If there's anybody in here tonight that's never happened to, I'm happy for you. But so many times we just tread water, don't we? But when Emily was born... I had an accident at work and lost more or less all of the sight in my right eye. Got stabbed in the eye with a bit of wire. And I, I was used with nothing, only work. And I struggled actually being off work for about 16 weeks. But during that 16 weeks that I was off, my father died. My father had cancer. And uh, I'm 50 years of age. I'm not embarrassed to say it. My dad was my hero. My dad was the most leveling influence I ever had in my life. He was rock steady. And he had a simple faith. And it wouldn't have mattered what you went to him with. There was no judgment. There was no slobbering at you. There was no pointing the finger. He'd have put his arm around you. He'd have told you he loved you. And he'd have prayed for you. So that was a big change that happened in our home. But life goes on, doesn't it? Life goes on. It's different, but it goes on. So then Trisha got pregnant again, and we thought to ourselves, we well, hadn't our house finished. It was going to be, she was pregnant with twins. So there wasn't just a, <laughs> my Aunt Jean used to call her mobile, she used to call it the hut. 
There wasn't enough room in the hut for us all. So we bought a house in Dremore and planned to finish our house that we'd started to build. So William was born first on the 17th of January 2000. I got that right. And Jessica was born about 20 minutes after. And life was good. Again, the bills were paid. Emily was fit and healthy. We were fit and healthy. The, the, the twins were fit and healthy, William and Jessica. And Trisha was due to get home with the babies a couple of days after they were born. So Emily and me were at home. Emily's nearly two. Um, we're getting the house sorted for them coming home. Getting all the cleaning done after the mess of the mummy not been there with me just on my own. And I got a phone call in the middle of the night to say that Jessica had took sick and uh, I was to go to the hospital because Pat didn't want her being in the hospital on her own. So I rung Trisha's mother. She came over. I headed, headed for the Royal. I hadn't prayed in a long time. And I prayed going down the road. I says, Lord, I, I hope there's nothing serious going to happen here. I hope this wee one's all right. So I get down to the hospital just as Jessica was been taken to the children's intensive care. So I get in behind her, bypassed all the, the doors that they were letting everybody, that wouldn't let me normally through. I just went on through and said nothing. Come to the door to the children's ICU. And there was a sister at the door and she says to me, you're not getting in. I says, no, no, I'm coming in. She goes, no, you can't, you can't get in. I'll come out and get you when everything's sorted. So it seemed to be like it was hours had passed. It was maybe only half an hour. I hit the door rattle and she came out. She goes, you can't get in. You can't get in. I says, no, but I need in. So she said, no, I'm not letting you in. So I rattled and I kicked the door in the end. And she came and she said to me, well, on your own head. So I walloped into the ICU and I, when I seen what was going on, I was sorry I was there. Uh, the doctor was working on Jessica. She was lying naked on top of this wee platform and she was on a life support machine. And uh, I says, I must have cracked here. Like, he says, me, I don't know. I haven't a clue. Your daughter's body shutting down and I don't know why. I says, I'm right. Okay, he says, Professor McClure's on his way in. So he came in, and uh, Jessica had all these electrodes on her and connected to her, and she was connected to a computer, and it was pumping out paper. And uh, he looked at the paper, and he said to the big doctor, he says, you may just stop what you're doing. I tell you, not going to live. Uh, so the doctor was walking on her, looked at me, and then your man had seen me and he turned around and he says to me, and who are you? I said, I'm Jessica's dad. He says to me, right, I'll give you it in simple terms. Your daughter needs a new heart. I don't have one. Uh, she would need to travel to Great Ormond Street Hospital. She'll never survive the trip. I'll let you decide when he turns the machine off, have a nice night. That was his exact words. I wanted to slap him right up the mouth. Wanted to break every tooth in the front of his head. So, they took everything off her and put an nappy on her and a baby grow. And they handed her to me, and there was a wee quiet room at the back of the ICU. So, by the time 
but they might get down until she had died. So I had the ring pot to tell her she was still in the Lagan Valley. <clears throat> she says to me, there's a problem with William. I think he's got the same. So he spent a week in intensive care. We buried Jessica. And it turned out that he was fine. But because he'd been used with her for so long, when they took her away from him, he was holding his breath. And he was as light as a fellow when he was born. And he's about six foot now and about 18 stone. He's a big unit, like. And he was fit and healthy. So there's, a, there's, there's another child born. Two kiddies born. And things weren't all tickety-boo. Things weren't all rosy. And who do I turn to? I turn to myself. I'll, I'll fix it myself. I'll, I don't need God. Sure, I've, I haven't barred with him in a long time. I'll fix it myself. You can't fix it yourself. If you turn to Proverbs, if you have your Bible, if you want to, I'll read it out. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. And this is what I stopped doing as a Christian, and maybe it's you tonight. It just simply says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise unto thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. There was a problem at home, and I was going to fix it. But I couldn't fix it. And the problem got worse. I went from worshiping the... I told myself I wasn't going to do this. I went from worshiping the ground. My wife walked on to hating her. And I hated Emily. And I hated William. Her mom picked up on it. I hadn't nursed him. I couldn't even, couldn't even stand the smell of him. You see, you see when you're having the full armor on, you see when your prayer life's not right, I don't care what any of you tell me, you see when your prayer life's not right, your whole walk's wrong. Your whole walk with the Lord Jesus Christ hinges on your prayer life. How you talk to him and how you let him talk to you through this book. I'd stop doing that. But sure, I was going to fix it myself. If you're sitting here tonight and that's you, you can't. And you see the hole that you're digging, that's just going to get deeper. And it's going to get deeper. And it's going to get deeper. I'd got to the stage where I didn't want to be here anymore. I got to the stage where the only way I thought out of it was probably me topping myself. I remember a blistering argument starting one night in the house. And I had ended up packing a bag. And then threw the bag down, grabbed William, gathered him up, put him in the push chair, and headed out. And she pleaded with me not to go out the door. And I went out the door, and any of you know Dremore, the dual carriageway, there's a viaduct. And I headed for the viaduct uh, with them. Took him out of the post chair, I got under the wall of the viaduct and swung my legs around. And any, I know nobody knows me, I'm petrified of heights, like. 
And I threw my legs over the viaduct and he was with me. And I couldn't get myself off it. I was the Lord. Remember I had said, once you're saved, you're always saved. He had never left me. He had never left me. I swung my legs back around, threw them into the posture and headed home. Things didn't get any better because I was still trying to fix things myself. In actual fact, if you were talking to Pat, she would tell you that she couldn't see three months ahead of us. I was drinking again with the fellas at work, secretly drinking at work, going to the social club after work. And was the pleasure in it? Of course it was. But here's the thing. The devil will never show you the end. He'll show you the beginning and the middle. And there is crack, and there is pleasure in sin. That's why so many doing it. But he'll never show you the end where you're standing or lying, healed up in a gutter, soaked through with your own urine and your own vomit with your face buried in a curb. He'll never show you that. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe that's the stage you've found yourself at. Here's the thing. There's no sin that you can't be saved from. Not one. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've said. Doesn't matter what you've looked at. Doesn't even matter what you're doing now and you're trying to hide from the person on the pew beside you by the way you're dressed. The only sin you can't be saved from is the sin of unbelief when it's too late you're standing before him. So we trundled on trundled on and it was trundling on and listen it wasn't all bad it was hard she got the brunt of it in many ways she got the brunt of it but Andrew was born on the 20th of February 2000 and Sam was born on the 1st of the 1st 2005 and I had been asked to go in 2015, I'm fast forwarding, 2015, to do security in, at a gospel, a week of gospel meetings. It was at Oliver James McRae Memorial Tractor Room. And it was the first year they, do it, they were doing, Andrew and Laura Jane were doing a week of events. And I didn't want to go, but of course, Andrew McRae, being Andrew McRae, just kept on at me. Come up and do bring the caravan bring the kids, sleep in the field, need somebody there to keep an eye on all the equipment. So reluctantly I done it. Reluctantly I done it. And it was the Wednesday night. Ricky Bell from Ballymena was there, Gospel Bus Ministry. Couldn't tell you what he preached on. But I can tell you one thing he said at the end of the meeting. He said, if the Lord Jesus Christ was to come through the back door, Christian, could you look him in the eye? I want to ask you all the same tonight. If he came through that back door, could you look him in the eye? With how you behave the rest of the week? How you talk the rest of the week? I knew I couldn't. And it was a really, really bad night. And I spoke to Ricky briefly after it and made me excuses and left. Everybody was away out of the field about 11 o'clock. All my kids were with me. Pat was at home working. And I tramped that field at half two in the morning, soaked through to the skin. Just tramped up and down, up and down, up and down. And Emily came out and says to me, Dad, what's going on? I says, I'm all right. She says, you need to come in. You're going to get sick. I came in at about half two. And the caravan was silent. They were all snowing. 
and they were safe and they were happy and they were content. But I wasn't. I wasn't. I knew my life couldn't go on the way it was going because it was just gradually getting worse and worse. And that night, I told the Lord I was sorry. I told him to forgive me. I asked him to forgive me. And he did. And you see, the last seven years have probably been the best seven years of my life. He's real. He had never left me. He hadn't forgot me. And I had come back home to him. And life goes on. Get, get involved more again in church. There was, there was a youth meeting and, and all the rest of it. And we got, we got, Trisha was always involved. I had kind of took a back seat, but got involved with the reach. It's the youth club and whatnot. And everything was really good. I'd started, I'd, I'd never spoken a meeting before in my life, never ever. This stage I was 42. I was getting asked then to go to speak here, go to speak there, give my testimony here, give my testimony there. And, you know, I, I, could, I can't do this on my own. I, I, I'm not a public speaker. But it's the Lord. And he's, he doesn't, what's the way he's saying? He doesn't, about calling the, I can't remember the way it goes, but he equips, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. That's certainly the case for me. So by this stage, Pat's mom and dad had died. Pat's mom was a gospel singer, Margaret Craig, and sung around the churches, would have sung anywhere for the Lord, rightly so. But they had died, and that was a big hit too. Two rock steady stalwarts gone away. And in April 2019, I was always very conscious that I was spending a lot of time with my two boys, my two older boys. So my youngest son, Sam, and I, I decided Thursday night was our night. When I came home from work, we'd get washed and changed and we'd go for a feed, him and me. So him and me went for a feed and there's a saying in our house, we didn't eat, they were full weight, they were tired. And on the way out of the, the restaurant, Sam says to me, are you all right there? I went, oh, I don't feel too well. He says, me an awful colour. Fast forward to the Sunday, uh, I took a turn on the couch and I thought if I closed my eyes, I was going to die. I just, I just knew something wasn't right. Something was badly, badly wrong. And uh, Pat rung the ambulance. The ambulance come. Got the boys, two boys went and got the defibrillator from the town. I thought I was taking a heart attack. Uh, spent a week in Daisy Hill with bowel problems, it was, it was my bowel. And on the Saturday, uh, my bowel ruptured, I bust, my large bowel. Uh, I never witnessed pain like it. And I'm told they should have had me in theater within the hour. And nine hours later, I was still writhing about the bed in pain. So there was panic stations. Doctor told me, he says, look, I don't think you'll see the morning. I think you'll see the morning. And if you do, you'll die in intensive care. And my, thought, my first thought was Jessica. My first thought was happy days. <clears throat> I'm going to see Jessica. And then right away, my thoughts went to my family, my wife, my mum. My mum's still alive. 
So I had to get my large bowel removed, with a colostomy bag on. And I spent three, two weeks in intensive care in Daisy Hill. And I was treated like a king. And the doctors were wrong because the Lord still had something else for me to do. And maybe that's you in the meeting tonight. Maybe you have something you're struggling with tonight. Maybe it's something you can't talk about it. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a family problem. There's nothing you can't take to the Lord. There's nothing that you can't give him that he can't fix. There's nothing you can't bring to him that he can't cure. He's the God of all comfort, comfort and he draws strangely near. I felt that so much in hospital. I have struggled with my mental health for the last 23 years to the point where I'm not, not wanting to be here. Depression, anxiety. And I, often, I have prayed so many times, wearing the knees out of my trousers, Lord, take us away from me. I can't do this anymore. And I share this everywhere I go to speak, and sometimes I've been reprimanded for it. But every single one of us as Christians will have a thorn in our flesh. And I often wonder, is mine the depression and the anxiety and the trauma over everything that's happened? Because you know what it does? It keeps me on my knees. Keeps me close to God. Because if I don't, if I don't stay close to Him, if I don't spend the time with Him, if I don't tell Him every day I love Him, where does that relationship go? It breaks down to the point where there is no relationship. And that's when you give the enemy a foothold into your life. If I don't tell my wife every day I love her, and she's probably fed up with me telling her I love her. I'm so thankful for her. So if I can tell her every day that I'm so thankful for her and I love her and I need her, how much more do I not need the Lord? He holds every, every breath I take in his hand. He's doing the same for you tonight. You know, I was talking to a fella on Thursday night and his dad was an IRA man. Hardcore IRA man, the IRA shot him. He's a friend of mine. And he's got saved. You see the baggage that he has with him. Been brought up and reared in a Catholic home. And the lifestyle that he was in as a child. And the baggage he brings with him. It's only by the grace of God that he's still here. And God's working in his life. The fellow's working out his salvation. He's working out his walk with the Lord and it's really evident that the Lord's with him and maybe that's you and we were talking on Thursday night and we actually shared these verses together and it's in Romans 10 and it starts in verse 9 and if you're in the meeting tonight and you're not saved I want you to listen to it please listen to it it says if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised them from the dead, they shall be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on, the, on him 
shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that verse 12. It says, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. You can be sitting in here tonight, you can be black or white, rich or poor. We're all the same to the Lord. There's only two ways the Lord can look down out of heaven tonight on this congregation, and that's saved or lost. Saved or lost. I would love to be able to ask you tonight, of course I wonder, I'm not going to do it because it wouldn't embarrass anybody. Put your hand up to show me who's saved and who's not. Only you know. Everybody looks the part. The way a Christian society thinks a Christian Christians supposed to look like. But you know your heart. And you know the dark, deep recesses of your heart. And God knows them. I love that verse 12 and it says that there's no difference between the Jew or the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not if, not but, not maybe, not, not after you go and say sorry for doing this, that or the other. Or make recompense for this, that and the other. No, right away, just like that. Tonight, where you're sitting, you can have the assurance of salvation. You can have the assurance if you walk out that door and you die in a car accident the night on the way home, if you have asked the Lord into your heart, you can be guaranteed where you're going. But here's one for you. See, if you haven't asked them into your heart to forgive you of your sins, And you had a car accident on the way home. Here's what it says in Revelation. And they saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead. There's going to be no hiding from the Lord. None of us can hide. The sea gave up the dead from which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up. The dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Why don't you listen to verse 14? And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Hell's only a waiting room. Hell's only a waiting room. Hell's bad. Lake of fire is going to be thousand million times worse so you, you have a decision to make tonight if you're not saved and it says in verse 15 and whosoever was not found in the book was cast into the lake of fire that's a fearful thought you can bluff me you can bluff the oversight of this hall you can bluff your family. You're not bluff God. You're not going to bluff him. So you have a decision to make. Heaven or hell. And if the Lord has touched your heart tonight, if the Lord has 
give you understanding in the heart, your heart and your mind that if you die in your sins, you're going to fall into hell and then the lake of fire. You need to listen to him. Because it says in Genesis that a spirit won't always strive with you. Maybe, maybe this is, you've been sitting in this meeting now, this is, I don't know, the third or the fourth time God has pricked your heart. He's given you the understanding you need to be saved. I'm choosing you. You need to listen to him. Because you could wallop on out that door the night, head home, have a nice week until next week, and you come back him and here and he never speak to you again. If that's not a sobering thought, I don't know what is. But you look on down into, into chapter 21. Where do you hear where I'm going? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow or crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he that sat upon the throne said behold I make all things new and he said unto me write for these words are faithful are true and faithful and he said unto me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end and I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Want you listen to verse 8? Because it's bolstering what I just told you in chapter 20. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You might say to me, Willie, I'd be surprised if some of you said to me, Willie, how do I get saved? What do I do? Romans 3, as I said, 23 says, we're all born in sin. Psalm 51, we're born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And sin did my mother conceive me. It's none of us. It's none of us any different. We've all got a problem, and it's sin, and that needs to be addressed. And if you don't address it, you're going to hell. John three and sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." I was sitting today at home on my own and I was listening to a man preach. And these are the ver- this is the verses that he used. Matthew 4 and 16. It says, The people which sat in darkness 
saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. If you have seen the light tonight, if you have been given the understanding of your sins, you need to act on it. You know, Matthew 4 and 17, Christ's message is the exact same today as it was when he spoke it for the first time. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again, in Matthew 4, 18 to 20, he chose working men. They weren't highfalutin men. They weren't men with money in their pockets. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't care about your bank balance. He doesn't care about your motor out in a car park. He cares about your soul and your life. He said to the men, follow me. He said to them, two men and Matthew, follow me. He's saying the same to you tonight. Follow me. And it says in that verse as well, and straightway, right away, they left their nets, they left their work, they left their family, they left their money, and they followed him. They followed him. I have nothing more to say. But if you're here tonight, and you're not saying, I'm only scratching the surface tonight. I, if you're here tonight, I'm more concerned about your soul than I am telling my testimony. Please, please, please do not. Don't leave it. Don't leave it. Because you mightn't get the chance ever again. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Stephen, thanks for asking me. Uh, I don't care if you remember anything of me. Don't care. Couldn't care less. But think about what the Lord has done for you if you're not saved. And if you are saved and you're in a backslidden state, it doesn't matter what you've done. You stand like that. I just want you to come back. I just want you to say, I'm sorry. Lord, will you forgive me? He's not going to push you away. He can't. doesn't know how to. <laughs> You know, I have a son at home, William, the big fella. £500 a week cocaine addiction. Up his nose, seven years. Got his girlfriend pregnant. Life is, down, life is just going down the toilet. Just a mess. A mess. And I was sitting in church, I was sitting in church one Sunday morning. I got this slap up the back of the head. And he says, move over. I turned around, it was him. That's the wee lad that said he'd never darken, he never darken a free Presbyterian church door again. He says, you're all scribes and Pharisees. And I read that point, he's right. We've all got our flaws. But there he was, sitting in it, uneasy, agitated. I just said, Lord, you need to speak to him. He came up home unbeknown to us. He had been to church with his sister, Emily, and her husband. And he pushed his dinner around the plate that Sunday night, that Sunday afternoon. And I says, what's wrong, son? He says, Dad, I can't do this anymore. Can't do it. Well, he says, listen, I'd been in the front room, sure. Come in and talk to me. And he came in, he says to me, I've done it. 
That's how easy it is. She says, me, I've done it. I've asked the Lord to forgive me. See a change in that wee lad's life? Still has his struggles because of drugs. He's an addict. It's going to be a thorn in his flesh. It's the cross he's going to have to bear because we all have to live with the consequences of our sin. He went out eight weeks ago to kill himself. But we got him, he got him home and he's getting help. He's admitted he's a problem and he's getting help. Maybe you're in the same predicament. I don't know. I know I'm repeating myself, but if you're not saved, don't you, please, do not go out that door. You mightn't get the second chance some of us have got. William's doing well. He's trying. And he's saved. But life's hard. But the hardships are made so much easier when you've got the Lord in your corner. When you've got him gathering you up in the feathers of his wings, as it says in, in, in the book of Psalms, you can't fix your problems on your own. It's only the Lord can fix your problems. Stephen, I'm done. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Amen. Well, thank God for a Savior tonight that is able to point and to touch every, every need of the heart. And wherever you are tonight and whoever you are, thank God that there's one who is able to transform the life. And I want to lay that before you tonight. Maybe there's someone here and you're not saved. Uh, maybe you're here tonight and your life has been ruined and wrecked by sin. Well, thank God there's a Savior tonight. Maybe there's someone here tonight, maybe a number of people, and you're good and you're religious and you're respectable, uh, but yet you're not saved. Thank God there's a Savior tonight. Thank God there's one that can deliver from sin and save the soul. And one of the things that you need to do is you need to respond. I was reading a story, and with us a close tonight, of last year there was a young lady who went out with her family to the White Cliffs of Dover, and she went for a picnic there, and she found a lovely area just looking down over the sea. And as she was sitting on that precipice just a few meters back from the cliff, there was a photographer who was just a hundred yards on down the cliff face, and he took a photograph of her. And she was sitting with her family. She was enjoying the little picnic, enjoying the heat of the sun. And as the photographer was swinging around from the, the view of the seashore right onto the white cliffs of Dover, he saw her. And as she was sitting almost at the very precipice, he saw behind her, just about two feet, there was a crack. And there was a crack just from behind her right down to the bottom of the cliff. She was sitting enjoying herself. She was oblivious to the danger that she was in. And I can tell you, my dear people, tonight, if you're not saved, the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine into their darkened heart. And even tonight, maybe in these last closing moments of time, would to God that the Holy Spirit would just to individuals tonight that 
It's a Savior that I need. And I can tell you, my dear people, the Lord Jesus Christ will not only save you from your sin, He will not only save your soul, but I'll tell you this, He'll change your life. He can transform you tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who comes from the inside and He works to the outside. And religion tries to get from the outside in. But you'll need to come tonight. And I trust tonight, maybe even if you're saved and you're not enjoying the Lord, I trust tonight that you'll come back. The Bible says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And I even trust tonight that the Lord will speak to our hearts.